So the Bulls lose their sixth in a row. Milwaukee wins for the first time over the Bulls this year. We'll be in Milwaukee in early April. Ball game over. Bucks 112 and the Bulls 100. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a six-game losing streak for the Chicago Bulls. As we do welcome you back in on The Score, along with Tom Thayer, I'm Mark Grody. We're in for Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes in here until 2 o'clock today when it will be Zach Zaidman today and a Big Ant. Anthony Hare will be on. So those guys will be in here to transition with us. Don't forget about... Uh, Layla Wednesdays. Layla went. Oh, that's right. right. Wait, what well, so we're today? not only in here for Lawrence and Dan, also Layla Wednesdays. Oh my God, it's incredible what we do. I got a few business items here, Tom. Before we we really get into our uh, Bulls talk with Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation, he'll be with us here in just a second. But you asked for a name earlier from the the oh yeah texture who was giving us the information yeah. about the Raiders, and he added a little bit more from the seven seven three Grody. I'm Dan from Beverly. So it's right, Dan, Dan from Beverly. I used to love those Raiders teams because Al Davis was all about speed. He was <laughs> always looking for the nef- next Cliff Branch. And uh, Grady, or, or Grady, oh, Grady's his name. Grady rhymes with daddy. So we got that taken care of. And then one other thing from our guy, Mark Potash, who was on with us, he said he forgot a couple things. Uh, Ted Phillips said that the new Bear Stadium will not have a retractable roof. I probably do that too. Um, and Harold Baines's home run off of Fergie Jenkins, a walk-off, was on July 26, 1980, back when the starting pitcher was still in the game in the ninth <laughs> inning of a tie game. Over the good old days, That's says Potsy. Wait, Thank you, Potsy. Yes. Thank you for the 773 texter. You know, it's funny. The, um, the 773 texter, what did he say? Because something reminded me. Of, oh, oh, you know, I was a big fan of Al Davis, too. And so when I was playing in the USFL at that time and I was out in Arizona, uh, Al Davis came to practice because he was good friends with George Allen. And, oh, and, I, yes. had a, and I had a chance to meet him. And I told him, I said, you know, I've been a big Raiders fan my whole life. I'd, lo- I'd love to play for the Raiders. And he said, well, the Bears already have your rights, so <laughs> there's no chance. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they were fun, man. They were a fun stuff. Like, I liked them conceptually. It never got them quite where they wanted to go when they were just, when they had all those world class. Like, but I, I like the how, fun of that idea. How about this? The last game Lyle, Lyle Elzado ever played in was a preseason game against the Bears. He was 41 years old trying to make a comeback, and he got a tip ball interception. Oh, Lyle Elzado, <laughs> man, back in the day of the badass. That's a bad, that's a great name, too. Just Lyle Elzado. You can't not be a badass. Right. If your name is Lyle Elzado, that is absolutely true. All right, let's talk about these Chicago Bulls. The Bulls at the break, 11th place in the Eastern Conference, 26-33. and 33. They've lost six in a row with the most recent one coming to Milwaukee, as you just heard from Chuck Swirsky here on the score. The Bulls bounce with Brooklyn on Friday, and our guy to talk about the Bulls is Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation. What's going on, Ricky? How are you, man? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Very good. We didn't have you there for a second, but we got you now. I know this. I actually want to pick it up with you at the trade deadline because you seem to be texting angry about the lack of activity that the Bulls had gone through. How how angry were you that the Bears didn't or the Bears the Bulls did nothing at the trade deadline and what should they have done? Yeah, it's totally inexcusable. I think that it was definitely a seller's market, and the Bulls were in a position to be one of the sellers if they wanted to try to pivot 
uh, into a new direction with this team. That doesn't necessarily mean blow the whole thing up, but I think if nothing else, you know, the Bulls after almost two seasons now should probably realize a team built around DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic just isn't a very good team. For the last year since Lonzo Ball's been out of the lineup, this team's like 10 games under 500. I just looked up the numbers on the three-man pairing between DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic for the last two seasons. Last year, they got outscored by a point and a half per 100 possessions. This year, they're getting outscored by about a point per 100 possessions. So that right there is sort of all the data you need to show that like these three guys don't really work together. The team isn't really a good team when led by this core. Uh, So I thought it was totally inexcusable for the Bulls to do nothing during a deadline day when almost every team in the league, besides for the Bulls and the Cavaliers, uh, tried to make a move to either improve their future or their present. The Bulls uh, decided now we're good. Our team is is pretty mediocre and even worse than that, I'd say. And uh, still decided to sit on their hands. So a really bad deadline deal for the deadline day for the second year in a row for the Bulls. And, uh, you know, it's it's tough to find reasons for optimism for this team right now. Hey, you know, Ricky, watching the introductions to the game last night, it's hard not to see the big smile on the face of Lowry Markkinen. If So let me ask you, one: did the Bulls give up on him too quickly? If he was still here, would the Bulls be a different team or – did he just uh, never never be able was it was he never able to infiltrate the core of the bulls so i think it's two things first of all like players are typically better when they're 25 than they are when they're 19 and 20 and the bulls had marketing for the very start of his career when he was you know 19 20 years old coming into the league it makes sense that he's better now just because that's typically the way the age curve works for professional athletes uh, but at the same time, the Bulls also did very little to put Lowry Markkinen in a position to succeed. Uh, having Jim Boylan control his development was just a horrible misstep by the Bulls. I think with both Markkinen and Wendell Carter, who have enjoyed a lot more success outside of Chicago since the Bulls traded him, uh, it's just more proof that the Bulls didn't really do anything to set those guys up for success. Now, I'm still really surprised that Markkinen has had this type of year Uh, On the Bulls, he had a really good rookie season, and then after that, he just never really got much better. I think the big thing that's changed in his statistical profile this year is he's just shooting the ball much better from three-point range. On the Bulls, he was typically a 35-36% three-point shooter. That's around league average. Now he's at about 41-42%, which is more in line with where his reputation as a shooter was coming out of college. So I think you got to credit Markkinen for working on his game, continuing to improve his skill set. Uh, and then also, like, Bulls, what are you doing? They just have proven for decades at this point they really can't develop anyone. Uh, their last truly positive developmental story was Jimmy Butler, and I think you got to give Jimmy and his work ethic credit for that more than anything the Bulls provided infrastructure-wise. So uh, it's it's been tough to see Markinen have such a great season for the Jazz, but – uh, you know, you got to credit him for putting in the work too. Yeah, and it would be, and I know we talk about this all the time, but you're bringing up the word development, and it sure would be nice to see some consistent development or encouraging progress out of somebody like Patrick Williams. Because, and and I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just not happening with him. Maybe we all look at it because he was he was drafted what fourth in what was a a bad confusing draft that year where you know the names weren't very shiny and you could afford to draft somebody like Patrick Williams in that spot but it just man and I and I know he's so young and he's only been around a while and maybe his 
production has been dented as well. Just looks like a guy who doesn't quite have it in terms of like, you know, we talked about it factor earlier. Just doesn't have that thing to be a guy who's going to give you a, you know, a double-double over 40 minutes a game. It's just, it doesn't seem like that's him unless something greatly, um, you know, out of left field presents itself. Yeah, it's been tough because coming into the season, the one thing I really wanted to see was Pat just in the lineup. Uh, obviously, last year he got hurt in the fifth game of the season, uh, didn't come back till the tail end of the regular season in the playoffs. So I just wanted to see Pat stay healthy and be in the lineup, and he's done that. He's played every game for the Bulls this season. That's great. I think he has shown some development defensively. There's a stat I like called EPM, kind of an all-in-one stat, and it measures players uh, on both ends of the floor. Defensively, Pat's in the 85th percentile league-wide this year. I think we can now say he's like a safely above-average defensive player, and that's pretty good, at least for someone who's still only 21 years old. I think he has taken a step on that end of the floor. Take it. But yeah. offensively, he's in the 28th percentile. He's averaging 10 points a game. And it's frustrating because he just has so much more talent than the production he's putting up. Uh, you know, he's shooting 40% from three this year. Well, he, his shot is so slow off spot ups that he's not really able to generate them with enough volume where it really becomes an asset for him. Uh, he's shown some flashes as a roller in the pick and roll being able to catch the ball dunk it coming off two feet I think he's good in those instances but you know the Bulls don't really have a lot of positive passers who can get him the ball in advantageous situations we know he likes to get into his mid-range game a little bit I think that's good for him but listen the Bulls already take more mid-range shots than any team in the league they need someone who's a volume three-point shooter in that role next to Vooch Zach and DeRozan so I think it's a combination of just like the roster sort of being a bad fit for him like what the Bulls need out of that spot isn't really his strong suit as a player and you know it's just a shame because Pat has had some opportunities here where DeRozan's been out of the lineup Zach's been out of the lineup where you would think he could take on more of an offensive burden and we just haven't seen that he's such a low usage player offensively uh, and, you know, someone with his talent should be able to get 15 points a game. Instead, it feels like he's done that only a handful of times this year. So what, what is, I, I, production is still disappointing. It's amazing, man. You've used the word and, and appropriately a couple times now, and that is fit. And that like you met, you outlined the three stars and their lack of production together that there's that doesn't fit and Patrick Williams it just hasn't found his fit yet and it just it start it makes me angry that they that they get these players and that they're plopped onto the team and whether it's Billy Donovan or Jim Boylan or whomever it is they're they're not developing these players into what we we think they are because these are good players that as you said don't fit together. What will fit together for the Bulls? Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, they just don't have a point guard to set the table. I think, you know, Lonzo fixed a lot of the problems on this team. But still, like, if your fourth best player in a vacuum is causing the team to lose 20 more games than it should on a season, like, that's kind of a structural problem with the team to begin with. But there's no doubt this team could greatly benefit from better point guard play. They haven't had that this year, unfortunately. Io DeSumo hasn't really taken the step. We've hoped he would in his second season. He still seems like a should be a pretty good bench player, have a long career. But as a starter, Io's not doing too much for you. Then the other thing that just jumps off you know, the television when you watch them, the Bulls just can't shoot. They're dead last, 30 out of 30, in three-point makes. They're dead last, 30 out of 30, in three-point attempts. 
the Bulls pass out of so many open looks that they don't take because their guys are not confident enough as shooters, which really means they're not good enough as shooters. And that's Pat and Io mostly. It's also Derek Jones. It's Vooch who turns down a bunch. Uh, really, Kobe White and Zach are the only sort of plus shooters on the team. And you can't compete like that in today's NBA. I mean, the Bulls are getting outscored from the three-point line by 20 points almost every single game. Uh, even when they do score well in the half court, when DeRozan's able to get into his mid-range bag, and Vooch, who's had a pretty good season offensively all year when he's been putting up numbers, they're still fighting a math problem at the end of the day because these other teams are just hitting so many more threes and the Bulls can even generate. It puts them at such a disadvantage. So it's a team that was built by Arturis Karnaschov as sort of fading shooting. I think maybe his philosophy is that shooting is a bit over-indexed by teams around the league. So if you draft players who are complete in other areas, maybe teach them how to shoot, that that could be a good way to you know find a market inefficiency. Problem, though, is that the Bulls don't have a shooting coach. They haven't really invested enough uh, in just the development of their own players. That's been a running theme for this franchise for years. They're not just cheap because they don't pay the luxury tax. They're cheap in all these other sort of hidden ways, too. And not investing in a shooting coach would be one reason why. Uh, and it's like they're playing in a shoebox, too. When you got DeRozan, Vooch, and Levine, I think opposing defenses can really just key in on those three guys, sort of ignore the other players on the floor. Uh, and it's just made everything so much more difficult than it should be. You look at the Bulls right now, if I told you they'd have a top 10 defense, which they do right now, they're number nine defensively in the league at the all-star break. You'd probably be thinking they're in good shape without Lonzo. if They could generate a top 10 defense still, but the offense has been horrible. Number 24 in the league. Uh, you know, it's the lack of shooting. It's the lack of fit between their three best players and, uh, it's just it's tough to have any hope for the Bulls right now. Hey, Ricky, I don't know if you were watching the introductions of each team, and then they came across DeMar DeRozan, and they introduced him as the master of the mid-range, and he kind of looked back at the announcer and rolled his eyes. If if that, it's just a clever line to do the introduction. If if he's not excited about that introduction, what does he want to be? I did see that actually. I thought that was funny. Uh, I'm not sure why DeMar really rolled his eyes at that. Certainly, he's takes more mid-range shots than any player in the right. league. It's him and Kevin Durant, really, and he's one of the most efficient mid-range scorers in the league. It's, be, it's so like being DeMar told you're one of the greatest singles hitter in baseball or something <laughs> like that. It's just not, it's not flattering, you know? Yeah, that's DeMar's game, though. And, you know, DeMar's had a really good year. He was a great signing for the Bulls. He, he's on a very team-friendly contract when people thought that that was, like, uh, the opposite of that when the Bulls signed him. They thought that was a horrible contract for the team. Instead, DeMar has way outplayed his contract. I think it's tough to fit DeMar in to winning formulas, though, because he can't play off the ball offensively. He doesn't generate any value spacing the floor or hitting shots when he doesn't have the ball. And then defensively, he's still pretty bad. So, uh, you know, DeMar's had a good year for the Bulls, but, man, this would have been the time to trade DeMar. His value was yeah. absolutely at its highest. You would have had him under contract, or the team that got him would have had him under contract on a reasonable value for next season, too. And I keep coming back to the trade between the Nets and the Mavs for Kyrie Irving. I wonder if the Bulls could have got that package that Mavs gave up for Kyrie. That would be Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and a draft pick. That would have been a nice trade for the Bulls if they didn't want to totally blow it up and they just wanted to pivot. You would have got a point guard out of that to fix the Bulls' facilitating issue. In Spencer Dinwiddie, who's had a good year, the Bulls have no wing depth. Dorian Finney-Smith would have been really good there. would have been uh, just like a solid wing you could have played at the three or the four going forward who plays both ends of the floor. 
and it would have fixed their shooting, getting two shooters for one non-shooter for DeRozan and a pick. Now, I don't know if the Mavs would have given that up for DeMar, but DeMar does have another year of team control that Kyrie doesn't have. He'll be a free agent after the season. And Kyrie obviously is just, let's say, a lot more volatile personality-wise than DeMar is. So just the Bulls could have done something like that, like anything else. And they just chose to do nothing for a team that is so uninspiring throughout the whole year. It's totally inexcusable. Uh, And, you know, the Bulls deserve to be roasted for it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you have opportunities. We saw all the movement that was going on in the NBA, and the Bulls were what one of two teams that sat still and didn't do a thing. And you know, they could they could talk about all they want about the offers that might have been made and all the talking that was going on. But the bottom line is they did nothing. Last thing for you, Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation. <laughs> but now that we've passed this scenario, what do you think they should or will do? In the off season, will one of those three guys be gone? The Bulls' big three, and I'm, I'm including Vucevic in there with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. So the only thing that's going to save the Bulls is lottery luck, and that is sort of a common theme throughout the league. You look at the teams that are really sort of overperforming or have made a quick jump up the standings. The Grizzlies jumped way up in the lottery to get John Morant. The Pelicans jumped way up in the lottery to get Zion Williamson. Uh, you know, where would the Timberwolves be right now without Anthony Edwards? So you do need some lottery luck, and the Bulls need it. Right now, they're the seventh-worst team in the league. They'd have a 32% chance to keep the pick. And really, like getting three or four would be good for the Bulls, for sure, but it wouldn't save the franchise. They need one of the first two picks to get Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson. Otherwise, this thing is looking really, really hopeless. Oh, man. Uh, I'm a bit of a doomer when it comes to the Bulls. I don't really see a lot of realistic ways they can save this current iteration of the team without lottery luck. And if they don't get it, I mean, Arturis Karnaschova said they want to re-sign Vooch. Vooch has had a good year. I think that they're somewhat buying into the sunk cost fallacy, though, with that, given that they gave up so much to get Vooch. Now you don't want to lose him for nothing two years later. But, you know, is another Vooch contract, is he really going to live up to that? Should the team have more of a rim protector at center if they're going to be led by DeRozan and Levine? I think so. Vooch can't run or jump so it's sort of hard for him to block <laughs> well that. and he got he got schooled by brick lopez the other night too i mean that's another that's issue brutal. yeah yeah that was brutal uh and so in general what i think the bulls are going to do unfortunately is try to keep this core together and try to salvage it maybe sign a point guard uh you know i hate to say it but they have that 2027 first round pick to trade if they want to do that arturis karnashovas has shown he's very willing to trade his future draft picks so my prediction would be that the Bulls sign Russell Westbrook, that they trade their 2027 first-round pick for a forward, and that they maybe win 39 or 40 games next year. Uh, what they should do is trade either Zach or DeMar and try to find a rim-protecting center in place of Vooch, try to empower Patrick Williams offensively, give him a little bit more of a creation load for him to try to score a little bit more. Uh and, you know, focus more on the future than the present. Because this iteration of the team, I believe there is no saving. There's not a quick fix that's going to get this team, you know, back winning one or two series in the East, let alone win a championship. And what's probably best for the Bulls is to take their medicine to realize that uh, this iteration of the team isn't good enough and to move on. But I sort of doubt they're going to do that. The Bulls just want to make the playoffs, even if it's the seven or the eighth seed in the East. And uh, I think that they're going to keep it together. But we'll see. All right. Ricky, thank you for your thank time you, as always, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, brother? Thanks. Yeah, it is uh, Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation. He does it all, man. He's a writer, editor, associate, director of 
programming, so good to catch up. Nothing good there from, but but as as Ricky said, he he does tend to be a bit of a bull cynic, which is why I like having him on. So that's Ricky O'Donnell. We've got Coom coming up in about uh, forty minutes or so. One o'clock is when Ron Coomer will join us here on the Bernstein and Holmes Show. Tom Thayer and Mark Grody. A little bit of Cubs news for you guys. This is according to Megan Montemurro, um, who covers the Cubs for the Chicago Tribune. The Cubs make it official. They announced that right-hand pitcher Michael Fulmer is in for a one-year deal. I love that, and we'll talk to Coom about that later. I've always liked Michael Fulmer. I think that is a steady arm for you there. Unfortunately, Cody Hoyer put on the 60-day disabled list uh, the corresponding move as he does continue to rehab from Tommy John, which blows. Because I I do want (laughs) to see if if he could – kind of get himself back in gear after having a nice year, one really good year with the White Sox, and then a flop, and then you know obviously injured with the Cubs. So hopefully Hoyer at some point in time, you actually see that guy pitching consistently for the Chicago Cubs. The phone lines are open. For those of you, it looks like we even have a couple people that were still waiting to talk about the Bears. But this is a good time to get in. 312-644-6767. We're also going to hear from Justin Fields in a little bit. And uh, your participation would be uh, lovely. 312-644-6767 on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670. The score in Odyssey Station. Great to have you with us on your day off on the score. Mark Rohde and Tom Thayer with you until uh, 2 o'clock. That is when Zach Zaidman and Anthony Heron will take over. We'll get to talk to those guys before they do their show. We're all happy, and at least Tom is well-fed because... You uh, you went and done did it last <laughs> night. You went and done. You you fried yourself a turkey, didn't you? I did. I have a I have a butterball uh, deep fryer for turkey, and it makes other stuff too. But yesterday, I happened to buy a turkey on sale a, a little while ago, and then I defrosted it, brined it overnight, and then uh, cooked it in my uh, butterball deep fryer yesterday morning. I I still have yet to have a deep fried turkey. Are they just are they just deluxe or what? You, you know, as, what's the difference between a de- is it juicier? Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. So you know, I I so and, and the other stuff I've cooked, I got into brining. Oh yeah. You know, brining is soaking overnight, basically, in a series of different types of spices according to what you're cooking, and then it creates more moisture inside of whatever you're cooking. So I brined it overnight, the turkey. And then um, I cooked it according to the time that they recommend for you. And so I've done maybe four or five now in the time that I've had this turkey fryer over over time when my mom and dad were alive. And I've learned a little something each time that I've done it. And yesterday it was the best of the best of the best. And you're such a good Tom because <laughs> then you started dispersing this turkey to to various family members. Yes, I cut the uh, dark meat off for my sister Annette. And my niece brought it over to her house, um, and then I 
cuts him off from my brother, and then I, I cuts him off from myself. And- yeah, here you, you brought in your your white meat. You you went with the healthy. <laughs> part. No, so the, I do have this question: When you make turkey, do you also get? Do you also make yourself some mashed potatoes and stuffing to go with it, or are you just are you just about the the carcass? <laughs> yesterday, yeah. yesterday I only ate turkey. Really, I was thinking okay. of the same thing yeah. though. But because I have like stuff in my freezer that I could take out and heat up immediately to accompany it, I just wanted to make the turkey. Because I, I had it, and I just wanted to try another level of cooking it and everything. And, uh, you know, the more you learn, the better it gets. And it was just, you know, fun cooking it's it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, and I love off-season turkey stories, like non-Thanksgiving. What the hell? Let's just <laughs> – my mom does that sometimes, too. She'll find a cheap turkey at the Jewels yeah. or whatever, and then she'll they'll, my parents will put it in the freezer, and then they'll – you know what? This is the day to have – let's have the kids over. We're making a turkey. Yeah, you know, at 9 o'clock in the morning, I had the turkey fryer plugged in in the garage, uh-huh. let it heat up to the right temperature, and then submerged right. the turkey and cooked it accordingly. And I probably I probably have more in common with your mom than you. Yeah. Because when I <laughs> get, I get yeah. the sale I, at, at when I'm down in Joliet, I do get the grocery store sale papers, yeah. and I go, go through them all. Um, in terms of what uh, what I'm looking to buy and what I need to fill up on, yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a beautiful moment when a turkey can be presented in a month that is not November. I just find the whole idea to be novel. I really do. I, I like got it. some good sales on eggs. Uh, oh, I know, oh. I know, you're the you're the oh. hard boiled king king that goes and buys them. Hey, zero points on Weight Watchers. That's what I say. And. Grody needs Weight Watchers right now. So one, one, if I get back, if we're having hard boiled egg conversations, you and I, that's a good thing. What, what else is a zero number item? That's, on- that's a great question. That's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, fruits, vegetables, um, as I said, eggs. I think they've moved. Believe it or not, avocado to a zero-point food, which is amazing. So you can eat as much of those as you in, want. In theory, yes. Okay. You can eat as, as much of those as you want. I'll bust out the list a little bit later on because I think there there are better foods than just – because, you know, fruits and vegetables, whatever, yeah. not very exciting. I think hard-boiled – you know, eggs in, in general I think yeah. is, is really helpful. I mean, I love avocado. I love big salads. I yeah. love making um, – you know, hand cut coleslaw. Oh yeah, and stuff. And no, that's you know, good stuff, yeah. man. Um, like these guys are hungry, man. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is twelve thirty-five on President's Day. Tom Thayer, Mark Rody, with you here on the score. Let's get back to your Bears calls, and we're to hear from Justin Fields in a minute. Ron Coomer at one o'clock, and this is Don in Portage Park. What's going on, Don? You're on hey, the Don. score. Hey, fellas. Good, good to get on with you. Um, Quick question. For a while, I was beginning to believe free agency came and went, and the Bears did nothing. Um, when is open season for free agency? And, um, uh, Tommy, do you have uh, um, any particular um, guy in free agency that you would just love to see, you know, the Bears really step up and put a big, you know, offer out there Thanks, for Thanks, Don. Thanks, Don. Yeah, you know, yeah, I know free agency is coming. You know, Don, uh, you know, if, if I was a GM, I would love to have eye contact. I would like to have a conversation of any free agent that I'm going to give more money than he's probably been asking for throughout his career because I want to have that type of guy come and have an impact on this team. What is it, Payne, the defensive lineman for the Washington Commanders? You know, he is a young defensive lineman, but they'll – 
maybe they will franchise him. I'm not sure about it. He's one guy that I would love to bring in here just to, you know, start the defensive talent from the top. I know they brought in Al-Quddin Muhammad last year, and they've they've let him go this past week. Um, and so, you know, you'd have you know you got to be a special culture changer, especially if you're on the defensive side of the football. And, you know, Don, that's what I would look at as a guy, uh, you know, at every single position because they have the luxury of being able to pick at any level if they're going to come in here and be an immediate impact roster, be an immediate impact player in the locker room and on the roster. I started to look, and free agency does open up in March. Uh, I started to do some work on free agent wide receivers because you really have this a little bit of, uh, there's no giving up on Chase Claypool, but Chase Claypool has to be good the way the Bears were yeah. putting this together because they invested a second round pick and they said, well, look, the free agency class is not great. The draft is not particularly stellar. I mean, there could be some top guys in it for sure. So Chase Claypool becomes magically important. I'm just looking at some of the wide receivers that are available. And, you know, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, who was, had a good I, – I, I've all, I wanted the Bears to, to sign him last year. So I will stay on the Juju Smith-Schuster bandwagon. Last year, this past year, wasn't with, he a teammate at one time with Clay in, in uh, Pittsburgh? Um, yeah, yeah, he would have been, yeah, yes. Yeah. 78 catches, 933 yards, and three touchdowns for Smith-Schuster this past season for Kansas City, and he did spend some time injured. Uh, Darius Slayton of the, the New York Giants did not have 1,000 yards um, for the season, but you know he's an up-and-coming young receiver. Jacoby Myers of the Patriots. 67 catches, 804 yards, and six touchdowns. And then um, Alan Lazard of the Packers, 786 and six. And then Jarvis Landry is always available. Jarvis Landry is always available and always injured. Well, most of those receivers, you're kind of talking about a teammate that we already have on the roster. If you look at Claypool and Juju uh, Schuster, yeah. Um, and then if you go. Give me another name. Darius Slayton, Jacoby Myers, Alan Lazard. Right, Alan Lazard Jarvis, and Jarvis Landry and uh, EQ St. Brown. You know, EQ. So, yeah, yep. EQ's there. Yeah. Um, you you got. You know, I, I I just do. I think you got to have a guy that is going to come in here and you know not have a reputation that he's got to overcome. He's got to have a reputation that you're willing to pay for. Yeah. But I mean, but do any of these guys like none of these guys are blinking? You know what I mean? Like none of I mean, Juju Smith or Schuster is is the guy I would like to see the Bears have. But there's nobody on that list that you're like game changer. You know, the thing about it is you better bring them into a positive working atmosphere. You look at Kadarius Tony that ended up the season with the Kansas City Chiefs when he was with Judge last year in the, at the Giants. He was a locker room nightmare. Mm-hmm. He was a guy that they didn't play, they didn't activate, they threatened to cut, and they were trying trying to look for a way that he could get healthy enough to get on the field. So all of a sudden, he kind of complains himself off of the Giants and onto the roster of the Kansas City Chiefs. So what I'm saying about any of these free agents that you're bringing in um, – you, you, it better be a positive working atmosphere where they build upon the positive and don't try to be another negative inside the locker room. <laughs> Answer the question from the 847. Uh, that is asked, when does free agents start? Didn't you say March? <laughs> yeah, I'm just laughing at the, uh-huh. the text, like holding us <laughs> to it. Um, 
you know, to find. Yeah, I'm, I man, I am. This is one of those years where I always like going to the combine. I think it's a fun event. You get to shake a lot of hands. You get to meet some of the prospects. You get to watch the the bench press. So there's some cool stuff going on at that. But I'll, I'll definitely be looking for the, what the buzz is at the combine here coming up in just a little little bit. I'm actually um, looking at the exact date for the free agency opening. Well, I'll figure that out here in just a second. When we come back, more of your calls at 312-644-6767. We still got the Justin Fields to get to and the Coom Dog. March, February 21st through March 7th. Okay. Okay. Oh, really? Wait a minute. You know, you know when I when I came out of college, Grody, we had three combines. We had one in Tampa, one in Detroit, and one in Seattle. Would you say that you compiled enough information at one combine that you didn't need, need to go to the others, or would you have liked to go to all they of them? They had three different combines? Yes. Oh, definitely. Like you, de- As much time as we get to spend there and getting to know, like n- none of it's enough. I mean, I, I, I would love to go to multiple combines, just get a better idea of, of the it whole was, thing. It was insane. That's was crazy. Insane. Yeah, you, you did a combine, had a week off, did a combine, had a week off, and did another combine. God, man. That really exposes. Like, we're the same players yeah. at all the combines? Yes. That sucks, like, for, from a player's perspective. Because then you have to – I mean, maybe it's good because maybe and you do better the next time, but – like that's a lot of like. So I'm I, I'm coming out. You know, it's the Marino Elway draft. But then there's also a lot of other stars along the line that were also going out there and competing at all these combines. God, the Marino Elway draft. That was something, man. Then yeah. then Tom Thayer. That that makes it right. Well, there. there's others. You know, Jim Kelly's and stuff. But a, a, yeah. a few of us select. Cho- chosen ones went to the USFL. <laughs> Steve Young. Steve Young. We had somebody asking on the time. Well, we'll get to this. I got to take a break, but we did have somebody asking about you, about the the USFL and it being back and your history and your good history with the USFL. So maybe we'll we'll pick your brain on that. But I see a ton of people trying to get in here to talk Bears, and we will oblige next on Chicago Sports Radio six seventy. The score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. All right, let's clear some things up here for the NFL, for the texter that was asking. The, the legal tampering period begins March 13th through the 15th in the NFL. So I guess you could say that the 13th is when it kind of begins. The new league year is March 15th, and that is when teams can actually agree to contracts and sign contracts. So mid-March is what we're talking about when in earnest free agency opens. You'll hear about deals and agreements and things like that through whatever source, but March 15th is your day. Yes, that that is. Well, I, was, I said February twenty first, yeah. and that's a day, but that's the franchise tag, right? Yeah, designation. There's, there's a whole list yeah. of of NFL dates. It's easy to get it mixed up. <laughs> I assume I figured it was March as always because I mean that stuff. Like I, I can't wait until free agency because then that narrows the field down a little bit in terms of what the Bears may or may not need in the draft. 
So that's a really important part, and I can't because I, we need to whittle this thing down. I mean, it's well, so remember early. the start of free agency last year when they signed the three technique defensive tackle, Ogan Joby, yeah, Ogan Joby, and everybody was saying, "Oh man, you overpaid for this guy. We don't know how how productive we'll be." And then he failed the physical because of the foot rehabilitation, and then ended up signing, I think, with the Steelers. Yep. And then yep. the Bears went and got Justin Jones mm-hmm. instead, and so. Uh, you know, it di- it didn't start out, you know, too uh too glowingly last no, year. No, it did it did not, but it did inform us a little bit on priority and Ryan Poles and one of the first things he did was try to go get himself a three technique tackle yep. for some decent money with Larry Ogan Joby. I thought Justin Jones was decent this year for the Bears and he he will still be on the roster next year. Let's get back to your calls. You guys are loading them up here. 312-644-6767. It is Cody and Joliet. You're out with Thayer and Grody on the score. What's up, man? How's it going, guys? Uh, I want to go back um how we were talking about the draft earlier and the possibility of trading back multiple times, but I want to look at the other side. Um, if Houston and Indian Indianapolis are comfortable with getting the quarterback that they want in the two and four spot, do you think we'd have to sell low to Carolina at the nine spot, or would we just stay comfortable and pick our sure guy at the one spot? Man, I I, <laughs> I, I would prefer the latter, staying comfortable and keeping that that number one overall pick, but. I got a feeling that they're they're gonna they will not be having that pick. Well, you know, I think um, you know, Cody, kind of waiting to see the coaches that are put in place, whether it's an offensive coordinator or a head coach, and then see where their priorities lie. Because you can change the narrative of a team that is making a coaching change in the early part of the new off season, and then okay, now after they evaluate their their term or their team roster, where do they believe their biggest needs are? And so then maybe you find a coach that's desperate to go out and get that defensive tackle from Georgia to get the outside pass rusher for Alabama and not only the guys that are searching for a quarterback. So, you know, Cody, I think that you have to investigate every single guy. And that's why I said I think Ryan Poles should have a booth set up at the Combine where he gets a chance to take get every team to come by, stop by and make their offer. That's great. And by the way, I think it's next Tuesday that we'll get to talk to, to Ryan Poles and, and Matt Eberflus at the Combine. So that's another step towards attempting to get clues and all this. And don't forget, because, you know, because the Bears have the number one overall pick, we forget that they actually have other picks, too, in this draft. The Bears have eight picks altogether, five picks in the first four rounds. They, they got that second rounder from the Ravens for, for Roquan. Um, they have picks in the third and fourth round. Actually, they have two picks in the fourth round, one in the third. Right now, they have two fifth-round picks, and they have one seventh-round pick as well. Well, you know, what? last year, what did they do? Start the draft with six picks and ended with 11, something exactly. like that, oh, some yeah. some number of that. So yeah. I, I just think that um, what we've learned about Ryan Poles, we don't know enough about him just because we've only had the experience of one draft when they had a limited amount of picks, right. and then he showed up with, you know, a, a bundle. So maybe that, like, you know, Cody was asking about everybody else, maybe that, you know, after you – start with the many picks as you do at the beginning of the draft, maybe you end up with three or four more because of the trade. And, and remember, I mean, just to put even more pressure on Ryan Poles, he didn't have a first-round pick, so we don't we don't know what he's like drafting, let alone the first overall pick. Right. I mean, right. last go, year. Go from no first to yeah, the first. Right, and taking, wow. a, taking a couple of key defensive guys, obviously, 
Um, but now now the heat is on. Let's get back to your calls here. It is uh, Wayne in Lafayette. What's going on, Wayne? You're on the score. Hey, Wayne. Mark Grody, Tom, how you guys doing, man? What's up, great buddy? talking to you guys. Oh, it's yeah. the best, Wayne. How are you, yeah. buddy? Man, Grody, does Mr. Rosen realize that you and Grover invented the transition? Deal I, I don't know if he back re- before it was cool. I've before never it was cool. You we, guys were doing it. I appreciate you saying that. Like, no, I don't think we've ever gotten. We is started transition at the score, and we never get credited for it. Less and I, so. Yeah. You should get money. You should get money, buddy. Anyway, well, <laughs> hey, hey, guys, I'll tell you what. I wanted to see if uh, – what do you think about – I know uh, he wouldn't be up in the very high, but some of the later round draft picks, if Aiden O'Connell is still around, and he's a hometown northern Chicago boy there, he's steadily getting three to 400 yards passing the game. He might be great to have just around there, you know what I mean? And, and – uh, I don't know what you think about it, but, um, but anyways, they, yeah, they, they don't produce just right down the road. There's some good players down there. I hope they come look at a few of them, anyways. But and also, what Grody, you and Tom, if you had just one pick, who would your number? Who would the, the only pick be that you could get? The very first pick. Oh my God, you, Tom and you and you, Grody. All which, right, which pick would you get? Wayne, right. thanks for calling. You're the best. I will answer that question here right now. So, if the Bears have the number one overall pick. And they can take anybody. Oh my God! I God! I mean, I do go back and forth between Jalen Carter, the three technique, yep. and Will. And, I mean, I, I, I think probably the edge rusher. I mean, how? I mean, as important as three technique is in the four three defense, man, I cannot resist going after a guy who tackles the quarterback, and that would be then that would be Will Anderson. Well, see, I, I like the interior. What what player is going to give you more snaps per game? And which player is going to give you more snaps per game that factor in the defense called? Because you can take an outside edge rusher and you can point the uh, protection towards him and make him have the longest path through multiple bodies to get to the quarterback if you don't have multiple uh, outside rushers on that specific team. But when you take a defensive tackle that can dominate the interior and you think of what is the closest person in relation to the quarterback on the defensive side of the ball. It's that interior defensive tackle. And if you see what Dexter Lawrence for the New York Giants did last year late in the season and stuff, if you can get that dominator who can take advantage of the centers in this division first and then centers and guards throughout the league, I I, I think it plays an important role because – you can lessen the amount of field they have to work with if you have immediate penetration out of that interior defensive line. I mean, you can't go wrong with a pick like that. I just think that they they are, believe it or not, they're better off at three technique with Justin Jones than they are with any of their pass rushers right now, which quite frankly stunk last year. I mean, they're just, I mean, Travis Gibson was wholly disappointing last year. Dominique Robinson. We shouldn't have expected much out of him because they all told us he was going to be a project. But you know, he has a sack and a half in his first game, and then then nothing the rest of the way. So I'm just very worried about their ability to get to the quarterback. So that, you know, that's why I, that's why I tend to go Will Anderson. One thing when you look at the quarterback position and you look at the backup role and you talk about that Aiden O'Connell, you know, you you look at a guy six three two ten out of Stevenson High School, really well coached at Purdue, played in the Big Ten, had success, and I really do believe that this is a team that's going to be looking for uh, a quarterback in the backup role. And we saw what, um, you know, Jack Jack Lake Zurich Sanborn oh, did yeah, and yeah. how much excitement he added to this yeah. roster. Jack Erlacher. Yeah. 
Don't say that again. <laughs> Maybe you bring in um, a locally bred born quarterback that has a successful history around here and see what he can do. Oh, this is a good time. For I hope a he's break. brought in because they do have a thing where they bring in all the local talent uh, from yeah. the area up right. to Hallis Hall. Yeah. I hope Aiden is is part of that uh, the group they bring in. Absolutely. No, I I like the way that sounds. Absolutely. All right, we have to make room for Coom. The Cubs color analyst right here on the score does all the Cubs games. Coom Dog Dog. will join us next here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.